Good morning. I'm going to be reading you um, this morning a passage from, two passages actually, from 2 Timothy. First, starting in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and then skipping to chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. So, starting 2 Timothy, chapter 1, from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And now, skipping ahead to chapter 4, starting from verse... uh, Sorry, chapter 4... Starting from verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metalworker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus, stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Heavenly Father, we just ask that as we look at this part of the Bible, um, we pray that you would teach and instruct us, and we pray that you'd make us wise for salvation, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, all these places we visit at the moment where you've got to sign your name and give your phone number and your email, I'm always a little bit wary, because I'm thinking, how much more junk mail am I going to get? And it has increased, I reckon, the amount of uh, dodgy SMS texts and emails that have been coming through. 
And when they come through, you just flick them. You're just not interested at all. We know how to filter our mail. That's just what we do. But we do the same with important letters too, don't we? We just skip out the stuff we don't really want to know, the fine print. I mean, unless you're a lawyer, then you might look at all those little details. Most of us, we look at the, the reason for writing, who it's from, just a quick glance, and try to get to the guts of what the, the letter is about. The problem with the passage we're looking at today is it's the fine print bits. It's the stuff you normally sort of run your eyes over. You don't want these sort of details. They're just the little bits and pieces. But as we start this uh, book of the Bible, this, this letter in the Bible, yeah, it does feel like the boring bits. But I think what you'll appreciate as you actually have a close look at it, it's a reminder here of what it means for the gospel to shape people's hearts for them to be living for the sake of Jesus in everything that they do. And so this part of the Bible, I think, is a helpful part of the Bible for us to have. So these verses, what they do at the start and the finish of the letter, they open up the lives of these early Christians for us, the Apostle Paul and Timothy and all those tricky names at the end there. And what you see is people who are in partnership in the gospel, despite pressure, despite opposition, despite pain of broken relationships, the tyranny of distance, Against all that, we see teamwork in proclaiming the gospel, and you see the gospel heart of these people, the motivation that they have. We see um, the perseverance in the truth, despite um, being tempted to deviate from it. We see ongoing faithfulness, even when it brings discomfort, personal discomfort. So these details, they're all recorded for us in this part of the Bible, recorded for us by the Apostle Paul, as he's carried along and motivated by the Holy Spirit. And then as we read it, the Spirit takes what we read and works in us with these words, making us wise for salvation and equipping us for every good work. So I think sometimes we need a reminder of what it means for the gospel of Jesus to be the centre of all that we do. And I reckon these short verses at the start and finish of the letter, I think that's what they do for us. This letter, um, being a letter, it has authors and, uh, and recipients. And so in 1 verse 1, you have the author, the Apostle Paul. In 1 verse 2, you have the recipient, Timothy. Stick with Paul just for a second. So Paul, he's the original author, but he claims to be an apostle. I'm thinking, what does it actually mean to be an apostle? It's the word, well, it's someone who's sent with a message. It's kind of like the Domino's delivery driver. There's an apostle. They're an apostle sent by Praveen, the store manager. Um, sent with the authority to take your money. An apostle carries a message on behalf of someone else. They represent somebody, Um, maybe like a special envoy perhaps. 1 verse 1, Paul claims that he is sent to speak on behalf of Jesus. He claims that he's sent by the will of God, which is why we hold this part of the the Bible in in high regard, because this is written by Paul, who claims he's speaking on behalf of Jesus, by the will of God. Um, Paul is Jesus' apostle, sent to bring the promise of life that's in Jesus, the Christ. The Christ, um, Christ isn't Jesus' second name, it's his title, he's Christ the King. And so Paul, he's not just any messenger, he's not delivering pizzas, he's an apostle of King Jesus, and he's writing these things, and so we need to pay attention, we need to take it seriously. Still thinking about Paul for a bit, if you want to understand more about Um, the background of how Paul became 
an apostle? Well, you've got the New Testament book of Acts, and it's a helpful place to, to start. You can read through there from chapter 9 onwards. You'll hear about Paul. And actually, in growth group, if you're looking at Galatians, or if you remember Steve's sermons in Galatians through the course of this year, if you go back to chapter 1, Paul outlines how he's become a preacher of the gospel, how he's become an, ap- an apostle. Read that. But if you look at um, this, the account in Acts, what you discover in Acts is Jesus completely turned Paul's life upside down. He once went by his Jewish name, Saul. He was a Pharisee who was a persecutor of Christians. And Jesus changed him completely from someone who persecuted Christians to someone who preaches the very gospel that these Christians hang on to. And so you can read about all that in, in Acts chapter 9. Saul was completely transformed. So 1 verse 1, Paul an apostle. That's who we're reading from. An apostle of King Jesus, a messenger of the gospel of life that's in Jesus. Still think about Paul just a little bit. If you think about um, his missionary journeys, if you read through the rest of Acts and look at the territory that he covered, as you read through Acts, you can piece together three separate missionary journeys, they call them. Three uh, attempts to take the gospel across what he knew of the world. It's a massive, massive area that he covered. And as you think about that, it's incredible when this is in a time when there weren't planes or trains, um, there wasn't the internet or even Zoom or YouTube. It's amazing how far they saw the gospel spread with Paul and his, his partners in ministry, his partners in preaching the gospel. In 2 Corinthians um, chapter 11, you get a little gist of a feel for all the stuff that Paul had to go through in those journeys. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's, he's bragging, but with his tongue in his cheek, bragging because there's these other people who are making bold claims, and he goes, well, I'll brag myself. In 2 Corinthians 11, you read from verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. You don't need to know what that is. No, that's nasty. And then verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. It just gives you this window into the life of Paul an apostle of the Lord Jesus, sent to preach the good news about Jesus, the gospel, particularly to non-Jews, to Gentiles. 2 verse 1, that's who's writing this letter. I mean, 1 verse 1, that's who's writing this letter, Paul. He's an apostle. When you have a look ahead in um, 2 Timothy 1 verse 17, you read there that he's in Rome. He wants uh, Timothy to come to him in Rome and so on. And when you piece that together with what we know in Acts he would be under arrest in Rome at that point. And it's thought that this may well have been his last letter that he wrote before he was executed. If that's the case, then it kind of adds a bit of weight to this, doesn't it? We're reading what could be the final letter from the Apostle Paul. Someone who knew that his time on this earth was nearly over. His time was up. In all I've said so far, we're just saying this is a letter that we're looking at. 
It's a letter from the Apostle, the Apostle Paul. We've thought a bit about who Paul is. In 1 verse 2, he's writing to Timothy. Um, Paul's previous letter to Timothy, we have it in our Bible as 1 Timothy. When you look at that letter, it reads like an open letter that's kind of written to be read in front of the whole church and written about the church. Whereas this letter to Timothy, it feels more personal. It feels more like a letter written from Paul to young Timothy. Yeah, I'm sure it was intended that others would, would see the content, would know the content, that it would be read publicly. But there's direct things from Paul to Timothy. It's far more personal as Paul urges Timothy to continue faithfully serving Jesus. Timothy, you get the gist, he's very close to Paul. In 1 verse 2, Paul refers to Timothy as his dear son. It's like Paul is Timothy's Christian father, if you like. What else do you know about Timothy? Well, again, if you look through the book of Acts, you can piece things together. If you come to Acts chapter 16, you'll, you'll see there Luke records how Paul met this man, this young man, Timothy. We're told that Timothy's mother was Jewish and, um, a, and a Christian, and his father is a Gentile. And Paul, Luke tells us, Paul wants to take Timothy with him on the missionary journey to take the gospel of the Gentiles. So he has Timothy circumcised, just so that the fact that he wasn't circumcised wouldn't be a stumbling block for the Jews. Paul becomes like a father in Christ to Timothy. Paul entrusts Timothy with all sorts of tasks, and it seems like the most recent, as you look at 1 Timothy, the previous letter, most recent is to leave him in Ephesus, to look after the church in Ephesus. At the other end of this letter, so the second part of the reading that Chris read, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 9, you see Paul urges Timothy to come to him quickly. Um, In 4 verse 19, Paul tells Timothy to to greet Priscilla and Aquila, who we know from Acts chapter 18 moved with Paul from Corinth to Ephesus and kind of hung around there. Presumably they're still working in the church there. So this is all the kind of the, the background, the feeling of this letter. This letter is written from Paul, a prisoner in Rome, to Timothy in Ephesus. So enough of the history. Let's have a look at what we have here. So the opening words from Paul to Timothy, the greeting that you get, shows genuine joy on the part of Paul as he thinks about Timothy. Um, Joy in uh, Timothy's sincere faith and also his gospel heritage or his family heritage of wanting to live for God. So have a look at 1 verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. It's a pretty nice, encouraging few verses, I reckon, in the Bible. You can see how Timothy, he he brings joy to Paul. You can see his sincere or his genuine faith, his trust in God and wanting to live for Jesus. And Paul claims there's this history of living for God that traces back to his grandmother. That's pretty cool. Um, They're encouraging verses, particularly if you're a mum or if you're a grandma. Um, If you're a a mum, then there's inspiration here to want to see your children growing up, trusting Jesus and living for him, particularly if you're doing that on your own without the support of a Christian husband, because that may well have been Eunice's situation, mightn't it? So it's an encouraging part of the Bible. There's more here too, because Timothy, it's a bit like he's a third-generation believer, and I reckon for those of us here... A lot of us have grown up in Christian homes. And so we've become Christians at some point, and it's hard to really say when, maybe, for some of us. 
And when you hear some of these amazing conversion stories, you, you, there's a temptation to feel a little inadequate, isn't there? But that's not the case. This is the fact that you've grown up in a Christian home with parents who want you to live for Jesus and teach you how to live for Jesus. That's an amazing thing. That's not boring. That's something to thank God for and to praise God for. And there's more here too, because Paul, the apostle, he kind of adopts Timothy. He becomes like a, a father in the faith to young Timothy. And there's inspiration for us there too. But when you think about the way that we can help each other live as Christians, the way we can be an influence on each other, as together we share the gospel together and help each other grow as Christians. So it, it's a fairly positive part of the Bible. There's genuine joy, there's sincere faith, there's gospel heritage. But it's not all just warm fuzzies because there's work to be done. And so Paul and his mission partners, they also have this willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. So there's work to be done. If you look at verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And we scratch our heads a bit and go, what's going on there? What's the gift? What's this laying on of hands stuff? What does that do? I think in the context, it simply means that Paul and maybe others have set Timothy aside as someone who will proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Perhaps they've recognized in him gifts and abilities to do those things. It may be a bit like in Acts chapter 6, back in verse 6, when the apostles in Jerusalem, they, they laid their hands on Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. They laid their hands on them, presumably they prayed for them too, and set them apart for the task of waiting on tables, um, to looking after kind of those things that need to be done to free up the apostles to preach the gospel. There's this teamwork happening. There's this laying on of hands, this dedicating someone to a task. I think in this case, Timothy's been set aside by the laying on of hands to preach the gospel because as you keep reading, that's the feel it has. So verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. He's encouraging Timothy to keep proclaiming the truth about Jesus, even though it can be challenging, can be hard. Um, bearing testimony to Jesus, yeah, it's not always easy, and it does bring challenges. It might bring prison, like it has for Paul, and with that, um, the shame that comes with that, perhaps. It will certainly bring suffering. Um, but we see in Paul and in Timothy this willingness to suffer for the gospel. And as you keep working your way through to, to Timothy, you get a feel for some of what that suffering was like. There's the necessary separation. So Paul, he wants Timothy with him in Rome. He calls him back. But until that point, there's this necessary separation to see the gospel spread. Um, ahead in 1 verse 15, there's people who are deserting or have deserted Paul. They've abandoned him. They were part of the team. They were on board with him. And now they've gone, done something else. So there's the pain of broken relationship. Um, there's people who teach another gospel that Paul and Timothy, they, they're in conflict with. They're disagreeing with them. There's people that they have to rebuke. You look at that, it's, it's just messy and it's hard work and it's complicated and it's all grey. A couple of thousand years later, well, not much has changed. As we stand up for being Christians, as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, as we seek to get the message of Jesus out there, we are met with opposition, not just from outside the church, but also inside. As we seek to see the gospel spread further, we endure separation from those we love, 
so that we can keep preaching and speaking and sharing and living the gospel. And you don't need to be around Christian churches long to have this little taste of the kind of relationship breakdown and the competition and the conflict that you come up against trying to live as a Christian, trying to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So in this short letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, you see this, you get a taste for it. But we see their willingness or their preparedness to suffer for the sake of the gospel um, and seeing Jesus proclaimed. Now if you jump to the other end of the letter, so to the fine print at the back, chapter 4, verse 9, you continue to see here the way this group of people are working together for the gospel of Jesus to see it fully proclaimed. So from 4, verse 9, Paul says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. It's just a short sentence, but you can think about or start to appreciate, I guess, some of the pain that's behind that. Then he goes on, Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. I'm not, I don't think we should assume that they've also done that for love of the world. There may be other reasons, but whatever the case, there's Paul. He's lost these people he was close with. And I don't think um, he's completely on his own. So in verse 11, he still has Luke, and there's others in verse 12. But the point is, he's had these people leave him. There's the desertion that comes with that. And then from verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Um, in the next part, you, you get uh, an idea of his, his real need for companionship. So verse 13, when you come, uh, is there a need for other things apart from companionship? Verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. You just get this little picture of Paul going without things that he would want and there's more pain in verse 14 Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm the Lord will repay him for what he's done you too should be on your guard against him because he's strongly opposed to our message at my first defense no one came to my sport but everyone deserted me may it not be held against them Um, and then out of his personal experience Paul urges Timothy to keep trusting in Jesus. So verse 17, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You think, why is Paul writing all this? Why is he recording all this stuff? Is it that he wants to get his side of everything out there, wanting to defend his reputation. I don't think it's that at all. I think he's simply encouraging Timothy um, and anyone else who might read this letter over Timothy's shoulder, including us, encouraging us to be prepared to suffer for proclaiming the gospel and to be encouraged that God has everything in control. Everything's in his hands. I think he wants them and us, anyone who's reading this letter, to be working together to see the gospel of Jesus fully proclaimed. And then you have those final words in verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesimus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do um, Pudens, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And maybe they are the final words Paul wrote. We're not sure. Sometimes I think we just need a reminder of what it means to have a gospel heart. 
I think we just sometimes need a reminder of what it means to live our whole life dominated by the gospel, wanting to keep proclaiming the Lord Jesus. And I reckon that's what this part of the Bible can do for us. At the start of and the end of this, this letter, the kind of the, the fine print, um, what you've got here is a window into the lives of these early Christians. You get to see their partnership in the gospel despite pressure and opposition, despite the pain of broken relationships. We see perseverance in the truth despite the pressure to do something else. And we see ongoing faithfulness even through personal discomfort. As you look at it all, as we read it, I reckon, yeah, the Spirit of God works in us and corrects and changes us too as we hear the Apostles' words. So as you look back across it, genuine joy, sincere faith, gospel heritage, a willingness to suffer for the gospel while working together to see the gospel of Jesus fully proclaimed. Does that describe us, do you reckon? Does that describe you? Would a snapshot of our lives be summarised in that way? Um, If you were to write your last letter, is that what you'd see reflected in it? This gospel heart, this motivation to do everything to see gospel, to see Jesus proclaimed. I'm going to pray that, yeah, that that would be the case. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would keep us completely dominated by the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, please continue to comfort us with that same gospel. Please reassure us with the knowledge that we are fully forgiven as we trust in Jesus. Please motivate us to live lives that are consistent with that gospel. Lord, please compel us too to share the gospel, even when it's difficult. And Lord, we ask that as a church that you'd help us to work together on being united in Jesus. We pray that you'd give us all gospel-shaped hearts, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.